genetics. You want to start with genes. You want to start with science today. So let's do that, shall we? But we'll do it very briefly. There seems to be a gene. We've not yet located the gene, but we know it must be there. That fires shortly after you have children. That makes you say things your parents said. <laughs> you don't intend to. You swore you never would. But it leaps out. And you look and you say, who said that? And you realize you're alone in the room. <laughs> One of those things we say often to our children is remember who you are. And I've heard versions of that, you know, remember whose you are, which is also a, a well-phrased well way to put it. But it all comes down to the same thing. Do not let the crowd, a friend, or a situation make you forget who you are, what you stand for, what you believe, and what your value is. The thing which we often, however, fail to recognize is that peer pressure does not go away when you leave your teens. Every age has peer pressure. You might think, well, no, I make my own decisions. Based on what? Well, if we sit around and discuss this at some length, you would tell me the news sources that you listen to, the family sources you listen to, the political sources you listen to, and those are your peers, and that pressure can make us act in certain ways. This in New Jersey, they, they asked me, um, the preacher did, he said, there's a preacher's meeting on Wednesday, would you come and speak to it? And because I don't really have the fear gene, I said, sure. He said, I just need you to be aware, not everybody here likes you. <laughs> I, I told him, that's assumed. Uh, I'm all right. That's the way I feel when I walk into my family. Yeah, I'm all right <laughs> with that. It turned out to be a lovely meeting. It was scheduled for an hour. We went for four hours, and it was lovely. Some of them talked about that they were a little afraid to come because of what somebody else might... You see, that was their peer group. By the way, I need to say something about this church with that. One of them said, well, I'd never heard of you. That was a little hurtful. Uh, but he said, I never heard of you. So I looked you up online. I went, oh, no. And he said, and it turned my stomach, the hate that had been poured out toward Fourth Avenue. He said, I then saw how you guys responded and even though I don't know you guys, you need to know I love you guys. And he said, I decided I have to be here and meet you. That was because of you. The way we respond, our peer group here, we want to remember we respond in love. Always. Period. Regardless of what's lobbed over the wall, we don't lob it back. Now, don't feel bad if you're a visitor thinking, what have they done? No, we're... We're really good, and if you, if you don't think we're good, just ask one of my wives. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Really, our, our only offense was to love, and that's, that comes back to bite you sometimes, but that's all right. That's fine. Remember who you are. The first sermon I preached here was not heard by most of the people in the room today, because over half of you have come to this church in the last three and a half years since I've been here. That sermon was called No More Samaritans. And the church responded to that lesson so much, not because they had not loved before, but because it gave them a framework for it. The open, empty hands and open arms 
framework that was so enthusiastically endorsed by this congregation that that's what brought a lot of you here and made you feel at home. I've already met with a couple of visitors today that said as soon as they walked in the door, they were welcomed like they had finally come home. That's because you have. That's who we are here. The point of the lesson back then was that when we come to Jesus, those that we once viewed as enemies are no longer our enemies. We don't have enemies. To follow Jesus means the more we love Jesus, the less, the more the concept of enemy fades, and the more brothers and sisters comes up in its place. While there are people who might list me, and this is, I'm being very honest here, that might list me on their enemies list, I don't have one. Neither should you. We're all right. We're going to love folk. In the book of Luke, Christ keeps showing us this, but it's in a way that it misses a lot of our uh, American um, 21st century sensibilities. Luke keeps having Jesus meet people at a table. And back then, you could not meet people at a table unless you considered them your equal, unless you were in full fellowship with them. And so, for example, in Luke chapter 7, we find Jesus in full fellowship with those that are outside the religious mainstream, those that are sinful, and then when Pharisees, the far-right, hard-line conservatives, ask him to come to dinner, he says, sure, and he eats with them. The readers of Luke in the first couple of centuries would have constantly looked at each other and said, wow, we missed that. The Jews had a list, like everybody else, by the way, we're not picking on Jews. The Jews had an unofficial list of enemies, culturally accepted enemies. It's all right to not like this person or this group of people. But Jesus made it very clear that he had no time or respect for those kind of lists. Rather, look at Luke. He meets with the rulers of the synagogue and the Roman soldiers. He meets with the tax collectors like Matthew and Zacchaeus and also leaders of the Pharisees who preached against them. In each instance, he refused. He refused to treat them as his enemy. Instead, he invited them to walk with him and eat with them. Zacchaeus up in the tree always loved that little song for a reason that I'll explain it. In America, uh, when you sing it, the kids say, he's a wee little man. Well, that's our word. But in Scotland, they don't sing it. They say he was a very little man. I have no idea how that switched. I have no, it just fascinated me throughout my entire life. But anyway, what really is great about the story is Jesus looks up, sees the man who might have been cheating people. I know we always talk as if he had been, but his words actually indicate he's not terribly sure if he has or not. But he looks up at the tax collector, the one that shoved outside of society, and what's his first words to him? Come on down. I'm coming to your house to eat. In front of everybody, he says, I fellowship you. That was daring. And there are a few times in the Gospels where the Bible just slips in a, a, a little line that says, and some followed him no more. Look at where those are placed. And you'll see they're placed after Jesus accepted those that others said, no, that's not acceptable. God reminds us in the transfiguration story that when we're confused or distracted, 
Look at Jesus. When you're not sure how to respond, look at Jesus. And in these confusing political times, and people, these are confusing political times, when we're distracted by media that lives off our fears, please remember this. If the news came on and said, you know, things are going fairly well today, enjoy your time. They couldn't sell product. They couldn't sell their books. They couldn't sell the commercial time. They've got to keep you off balance. And so they do. They give you a skewed view of the world for their own pocketbooks. Focus on Jesus. Look at Jesus. The sermon, No More Samaritans, was based on the story of Jesus entering Samaria to visit the Samaritan woman. I won't go all through it again today. We'll not repeat the sermon. It's up online if you want to go look for it. And by the way, those of you that aren't aware of this, not only are our podcast all up online, my lessons in Bible classes as well as the sermons, they are up there for free. You can download them. You can listen to them online. We also, I refuse and always have in my life to put a copyright on anything so that you could... I, you know, I've had preachers tell me before, you know, I really need to admit to you, I've been preaching your sermons. And I said, you know, I stole them from somebody. Just go. Just keep using them. You know, and, and the, I don't think I stole them, but the point is, it was freely given, freely give. So it's up there. But the sermon uh, was about Samaritans, and Jesus walks into Samaria, which was not done. Decent people did not do that. And you've got to get that in your head. This was religiously offensive. It was culturally offensive. The Samaritans were the enemies of the Jews. The Jews believed it was their duty before God to disapprove of Samaritans to the point where they would not, if a Samaritan were walking in the street, allow their shadow to touch their shadow because that would make them unclean. They called them evil names. They spoke their disapproval aloud because they believed that's what God wanted them to do. So Jesus goes in search of this woman. He knows who she is. He knows where she is. She is homeless, divorced several, seven times, thrown away, being actively misused by a man at that point in time, a woman possessed with an acerbic wit and a contrary personality, not a sweet, gentle woman. And she's a Samaritan. And Jesus hunts her, loves her, spends time with her. And his first words to her was, could you give me a drink of water? We meet as equals when that happens to the Jews. This was shocking. To her, it was shocking. But not only what did he talk to her and love her and spend time with her, he spent days with her and her people to the point where even his apostles who did not like this at all had to eat and drink with them had to become one with the people that they had declared their enemies before. For in Christ, there are no enemies. That's over. That's the way the world looks, not the way we look. Many of you know that I recently spent time with a group of Muslims and a few Christians. Most of the Christians there, in fact, all but one, were from Churches of Christ, two Churches of Christ, us and our sister church, Otter Creek, up the road, it's, it's got an okay minister. Um, he'll, he'll, become a, he'll be a preacher one day. We, we, we pray for Josh. 
Um, if you don't know, Josh is my son-in-law, and he's a better man than I, but there he is. But this is a better church. Stay. Anyway, uh, the point is, <laughs> sit, stay, stay. Good, good people, good congregation. Um, but we, went, we met with, with a group of Muslims, and this is not the first time. It is not the first time we've met these people or have known these people or walked with these people. The world and the media want the Muslim and Christian worlds to consider each other enemies. And they work hard on it. I've heard so many Christians say, if the vast majority of Muslims are against terrorism, why don't they march against it and speak against it? They do. It's not covered. It's all over the internet if you know where to look. The videos of them marching against it. The, the sermons in Arabic and in English against it, but they're not put up. Just to give you an illustration, people, and I'm sorry that everything sounds political. There was, uh, after the uh, recent election, there was a march of women against the new president. And they, that march was covered by every network constantly. There was also, the week before, a march for life, a week after, rather, a march for life. The march for life had many times more people marching. Many times more people. And yet, what do you think the coverage balance was? You know that the March for Women was, and I'm not opposed, I'm not saying that. Just please understand how your media works. All media works. Was it two times as much attention given to them? Ten times? No. They did the math. When it comes to minutes and time on network, 129 times more coverage of the one than the other. You don't know about the other stuff because it's not covered. Be aware of this. These Muslim leaders, some of them looked at me with a bit of coolness and distance at first because they also have their media that tells them we hate them and we want to kill them. By the end of the first day, that had changed. By the second day, the morning of the second day, they were asking if they could eat beside me to pepper me with more questions about Scripture, but mainly about Jesus. Why did it work? Why did it change? Because I don't treat people as Muslim. I treat them as people. I don't treat you as Democrat or Republican, black or white, rich or poor, American or British. I, no, you're people. What's your name? Who are you? I believe these people are created in the image of God, beloved by my Father, and worth my time and consideration, and I also believe they need Jesus. And I don't think it works if the people of Jesus hide from them. I don't think that's what we've been called to do. They asked me questions, I answered them, and they were amazed. They don't know about our Jesus. They don't know our stories. They don't know what we do. And when we tell them the fear, you could watch the fear fall off the faces. You could watch the body language change to the point where I didn't have any free time. They were constantly around me asking questions. Even the leader of the mosque in Nashville was asking and friendly. And as I said a couple of months ago, I found out he's also a toucher because he kept beside me doing this as he talked to me. And I'm going, uh, you know, because British, uh, we, we only do that if we're being arrested. And so um, <laughs> I want to go back in time to use an illustration. The statement was crafted by our shepherds after months of prayer and study. It was a lot of months, not just one or two. 
It was concerning our stand on marriage, sex, and membership at Fourth Avenue. They issued a statement here, if you remember, taking great pains to insist that all of those in the LGBTQ community are welcome here. They are welcome to worship with us. They are welcome to join in our charitable works. And they are welcome in our homes, and they are welcome in our hearts. They made it very plain we would tolerate no insult against them, and that we would insist that all members here be kind to them at all times, wherever you see them. That said, the shepherds went on to say that we could not and would not compromise our principles and our belief in Scripture and the Spirit of God. We believe that all sexual activity is to remain within the covenant of marriage, period. And we believe that the covenant of marriage is to be between one man and one woman. So we are welcoming and warm, but that does not mean that we compromise or lay aside our beliefs. Amen, church? That's who we are. So saying we love this group or that group does not mean we are laying aside Scripture. It means we are listening to Scripture when it tells us about empty hands and open arms. The Scripture says in in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Just stop right there, by the way. That was a shocker to them. It doesn't mean much to us. It's what we read quickly to get to the meat of the passage for us. But remember that for a thousand years, circumcision was everything to them. It was a mark of who was faithful. And now Paul is saying it means nothing. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If that's the only thing that counts, let's do that. And then Ephesians 4 and verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. If ever anybody, even these Muslim friends who are now my friends, says anything that challenges my view of Jesus, they're going to find out my view of Jesus very quickly. That's not negotiable. That has been determined in my life by study and study and study. I am fully convinced. By the way, they know that. Not a one of them has ever tried to woo me away from that. You see, we are not now, nor have we ever been free to make up our own rules about the universe. God's truth is God's truth. He has given us, quote, Scripture, all things that pertain into life and godliness. And while we have a great amount of freedom in many things, when God speaks, we have to listen and we have to obey. These things are not optional for us. That said, this is not now and it's never been our church. It is His church. He calls the shots. That's why we keep our ears open to the voice of God at all times. And why your shepherds spend so much time in prayer, so much time in study, so much time reading and thinking and discussing because they want to hear the voice of God and obey. They never look at this as their church. They look upon you as his people. The bells have just fired off. I must have said something right. It was Jesus who invited in the publicans and the sinners. It was Jesus who went into great pains to even bring in Saul of Tarsus, 
Who was Saul of Tarsus to the Christians? Saul of Tarsus was a government-sponsored terrorist to the Christians who stoned them, who drove them out of their homes, who took their property, and Jesus invited him in and changed his life. He told the story Jesus did of the Good Samaritan, highly scandalous, highly scandalous story, a story that would have shocked his, his hearers, and some, yes, walked with him no more. But it was Jesus who not only did that in his life, but who closes Scripture in Revelation 22, verses 16 and 17. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears, that'd be us, say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes, take the free gift of the water of life. Jesus says, come. And he says, if I invite, so must you. Now, to practical matters. For the last couple months, I've let you know this. Next week, we might have some Muslim visitors. And the reason I have to say might is because they might this week decide they don't feel safe to come. And I know that maybe some of you might even be offended. Stop that. Your peer groups told you to be offended. Don't be. It's terrifying to walk into any strange church if you're not a member of that church. It really is. You don't know what you're... It's, it's, I'm not going to go all Forrest Gump, but it's like a box of chocolates but, well, some of them are poisoned and might have rat traps in them. You don't know what you're walking into. They have been taught to be afraid of us just as we have been taught to be afraid of them. They have their peer groups, we have ours. If they do come, you need to know who's coming. And by the way, just to let you know, if you have questions, concerns, worries, the like, stay here in this class after the sermon. I will devote as much time talking about that as you want to. And then if we have extra time, we'll go into my class material. If not, we won't. But you, you just bring the heat. I'm, I am comfortable with the heat. I even took it in New Jersey. <laughs> and you guys are amateurs compared to New Jersey. <laughs> if they come, I expect only a handful, six to ten. We'll learn more through the week. If they come, they're going to want, they've already said they'd want to sit together. Why? They're a little afraid. They want to stay in their community. We will not point them out. We already have brothers and sisters here stepping forward saying, I'd love to sit with them. I'd love to take them to lunch. And we plan to. That uh, I want to watch over them and make sure that they're comfortable and they have their questions answered. I love that about you. We are empty hands and open arms. Those coming are not strangers to me. They are not strangers to Josh Graves. They're not strangers to many of us. We have met with them. We're not putting, and by the way, I wouldn't even mind if we did, put out a all Muslims come here on Sunday. You, I've had people say, well, what if a bad person comes? Have you met bad Christians? I have. Yeah. Most shooting incidents aren't done by Muslims. You're aware of that, right? They're done by white men. And we still let them in. And we don't pat them down either. We don't give them the hug of fellowship. It's so good to see you. <laughs> just... People, life is dangerous. The most dangerous thing you're going to do in your life, probably, 
is what you're about to do later today. You're going to get in a car. And yet we still do it. Inviting people is not that dangerous. It really isn't. So, who are they? Almost uh, All of them that, I, that we have invited are professionals. They're heart surgeons. They are neurologists. They are scholars in biblical languages. They are religious teachers at Belmont or Vanderbilt. These are not just people. They're people who are searching and have been asking questions about Jesus. They're curious, but they're nervous. Let's make sure they have no reason to be nervous about us. Let them see Jesus here. Because this is who we are. They know we'll never compromise our faith. They know we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They know we don't believe that Muhammad is the prophet of God. We do not hallow the Quran. I've told them. I've read it. And I'm just not buying it. We don't recognize the hadith, the body of tradition that is really what most people quote because they'll say, and, you know, the, the Quran says, and they're really quoting the hadith, which is, all right, it's kind of hard to explain. We quote our scripture. What if somebody came to you and quote Roman Catholic canon, uh, canon law from the 1400s? Would you, would you say, well, yeah, that too? No, we say just scripture. Well, they have the hadith is what most people quote and confuse it with the Quran, by the way. Uh, and I've had people say, but the Quran has some verses in there about violence. Have you read the Old Testament? We have some too. It's about context. It's about meaning. Am I saying the Quran's a great book? Nope. Don't like it. They know that. But they have zero expectations, and I'm going to change my mind on that. They just want to get to know us so that they can stop being afraid of us and we can, be as, we can stop being afraid of them. And wouldn't it be great to trump the media so the media no longer has power over us? And wouldn't it be great to live without fear? Think of that. There are 1.6 billion Muslims in the world right now. If you don't want to meet them in church, you can't go anywhere else. They're at Cool Springs, Target, Walmart, and everywhere else. So why don't we show them Jesus? Why don't we let them know about Jesus? There are a few percent of these that are radicals, but they never get attention. This is also going to sound highly political. I don't know any other way to put it. Recently, two Muslim women who have written many books about the problems in Islam and the need for the Islamic people to have a reformation like Christians did that says, wait a minute, we've got to throw this stuff out, treat women with respect, treat others with respect, they came to testify before the United States Senate last month. Did you see that on television? No, you did not. But if you follow the congressional record, and I do, you saw the testimony, and it was awful because they were there to testify, this is what is wrong with Islam, this is what we're causing, calling upon them to change, and here's what the effects of that have, have been. Not one Democrat senator would ask a question because they didn't want to hear the answers. Now, I'm, I'm not a Republican either. I have no room for Republican or Democrat in my heart. I just don't. But the point is, politics was so much, they can't admit there's any problem with Islam, they wouldn't even let the women speak. That's wrong. But what happens is, we stay afraid. And then we vote for the side that'll tell us, we'll keep you safe.
I don't believe any of them. But my king is not in Washington. Not in London either, in case you're wondering. <laughs> my king is in heaven and in our hearts. And that king is going to rule what we do here. So, by the, oh, another objection some people will make. Every survey I've done, I've heard they'll say, shows that 70 or 80% of this nation or that nation's Muslim believes in Sharia law and the like. Of course they do. What have they been taught? That's all they've ever heard. So sh we should be okay with that? Or should we give them another view? Should we meet with them, become their friends, and say, you might want to rethink this? I've had people say, that's dangerous. It is. If you do that, you will die. And if you don't do that, you will die. Everybody dies. Why are we so afraid of that? One out of one dies. You're not going to be the exception. I'm not going to be in the hospital one of these days dying of nothing in particular. There are always reasons. So why don't we grow a spine and act like we say we believe? I believe this church does, by the way. I'm not beating anybody here with a stick. Our Lord commands us to welcome and love those that the world would say are our enemies. We have no enemies. We welcome. Because the scripture says we were God's enemies. And he welcomed us. And Revelation 22 says if you heard that, you do the same. These commands are not optional. Neither is love. I have told you so many times, but I'm not done telling you. To the Christian, fear is not an option. And love is never optional. Period. I wish that I had the quote. I have searched for it repeatedly. Martin Luther King Jr., and I'm told he actually picked this quote up from somebody else. And maybe that's why I'm having a hard time tracing it. Wrote, if you strike me, I will love you. If you hate me, I will love you. If you knock me down, I will love you. And if you kill me, I will die loving you. That's who I want to be. I want to have that kind of attitude. Because that's what Jesus had on the cross. He said, Forgive them. And then he tells us, follow him. And you want to know the people he honors? Well, he gave you a list. Hebrews 11. We'll close with that. And what more shall I say? He's listing his heroes. I do not have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shot the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. 
They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The scripture goes on to say, they did all this because they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from the faith. Who do we love? Who do we follow? I know what the answer at Fourth Avenue is. So, even if nobody shows up next week, our arms are still open. And whoever shows up, our arms are still open. Because I have news for you. Sinners are coming next week. People who have cheated, lied, committed adultery, viewed pornography, uh, been evil and mean to people in the street, brutal to people in business, they're going to show up. Because that's the kind of people Jesus has always called those who need him most. Would you stand with me, please? We'll say a prayer and then a song and be dismissed. Our Father in heaven, as you've told us in Corinthians, we were idolaters, adulterers, thieves, liars. We were evil. And you welcomed us home. Help us to follow the family tradition of Jesus Christ, to speak of him, look like him, sound like him, and act like him. Father, it is our prayer that each and every day we will look a wee bit less like ourselves and more like him until one day when people look at us, all they see is your son. Father, prepare the hearts of those in the world that have never heard about you or don't know you, or have the wrong impression of you. Prepare them, and then send us, so that we can show them Jesus. For this is our prayer in the name of Jesus, and all who agree say, Amen.